Hello and welcome back. I'm Brenda Siepley of Green Tree Yoga of PA. And if this is your first time listening to Yoga Discovery, it's very nice to have you join me. Thanks to all of you for making space to deepen and broaden your understanding of all things yoga. Some of you have reached out to me regarding my recent vocal issues that caused a lengthy loss of my voice, but no worries, I'm on the mend and very happy to be with you today. Before we get started, just a quick reminder that Yoga Discovery is directed towards yoga students who hear words or phrases in yoga class or online and they want to know more. And that's why I created Yoga Discovery. If you find the podcast meaningful, please like and share to grow the Yoga Discovery community. Today we dive into the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. In Sanskrit, the language of yoga, the text is referred to as the Patanjali Yoga Shastra. For our purposes today, we'll refer to the text as the Yoga Sutras, which is how it commonly is recognized in modern yoga practices. The Yoga Sutras of Patanjali is a philosophical work. Some even call it a handbook of yoga and it has survived for approximately 1,600 years and is quite often required reading, at least to some extent, in yoga teacher training throughout the world. Let's begin with a quote from Dr. Pandit Rajmani Tiganaya's book, The Secret of the Yoga Sutras, in which he says, quote, the message of Patanjali in the Yoga Sutra is simple and straightforward. Remove the veil of darkness and allow your intrinsic luminosity to illuminate both your inner and outer worlds. Be free here and now and experience your everlasting self-luminous joy. The goal of yoga is nothing less than that. End quote. Pretty cool, right? Well, by the end of this podcast, my hope is that you'll be motivated to further your investigation of the Yoga Sutras and begin to perhaps consider how the wisdom contained within the sutras can support and grow your yoga practice. If you are a regular listener to Yoga Discovery, you know that I love history, and it's important to place our subject of the discussion in its historical context. For today's subject, we turn to 400 CE, that is, the 4th century of the Common Era. Until very recently, the general belief was that the Yoga Sutras were written in a much earlier period. However, the renowned scholar Dr. Philip Moss has recently put forth justification for dating the Yoga Sutras to between 390 and 410 CE. His research is really very compelling, although it does have a few skeptics in scholarly circles. But the the dating of the sutras does not change the content. For our purposes in this podcast, we'll align with Philip Moss's recent scholarship. And prior to this time period, again, the 4th century CE, there was a great intersection of Buddhist, Jain, Hindu, and uh, Samkhya traditions. By the 4th century CE, Yoga was a philosophical school, and the goal of yoga, if you want to call it that, although some would argue, was to reach a higher level of consciousness known as samadhi. If we were to take a time machine to just before the writing of the Yoga Sutras, we would find that yoga was largely focused upon breath control, mantras, 
tapas, meditation, and mostly just a few seated asanas. Each of these philosophies and practices supported the pathway to pure consciousness. Time for a sidebar. The view that asana, the physical postures of yoga, has always been the focus of yoga is a modern Western perspective. And it's very important that as I discuss the sutras, you keep this at the forefront of your mind. Asanas simply didn't pop up in modern studios. Our asana practice is inspired by philosophy and an extraordinary tradition. So who was Patanjali, the man credited with writing the Yoga Sutras? Well, there are virtually no historical details about him. He was most certainly a scholar and practitioner and could very likely have been a Brahmin intellectual. Brahmins are the highest members of the caste system in India, and you can think of them as the intellectuals and holders of sacred knowledge who performed priestly duties. The writings within the sutras suggest that Patanjali was deeply influenced by Buddhism, and a few scholars have argued that Patanjali was a Buddhist at some point and that the Yoga Sutras are his response to Buddhist doctrine. One thing for certain is that he was not the father or grandfather of yoga. Yoga existed and was developing 1,000 years before Patanjali wrote the sutras. Instead, Patanjali was a systematizer of yoga and joined existing concepts and philosophies together into the text that became the Yoga Sutras. Turning our attention to examining the Yoga Sutras, you're probably wondering why they are so important and often referenced by teachers and practitioners of yoga. The Yoga Sutras are a philosophical treatise of the mind and systematic approach to attaining spiritual awakening. During the period when they were created, the Yoga Sutras were most likely intended for male aesthetics primarily as a handbook for practicing yoga. And although the sutras align with many religious texts throughout the cultures and geographical locations of the world, even texts that came later, the Yoga Sutras is not a religious text. Okay, so what is a sutra? Sutra means thread. And the writing composed of sutras is very common during this time period. The sutras of Patanjali are very short with minimal text, often a single sentence. For example, the first sutra, Sutra 1.1, translated into English states, now begins the study of yoga. And that's it. <laughs> the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali contain 195 sutras. Sometimes you'll see that number change to 196, and that isn't really accurate because it occurs when someone adds a line from the included commentary that follows each sutra. Sutras are philosophical statements or aphorisms in which a maximum amount of information is packed into a minimum number of words. So you're asking, Brenda, why? Well, because of their short length, sutras are very easy to memorize. And why would sutras need to be memorized? Well, time for another sidebar. Early manuscripts in India were written on palm leaves or tree bark or even cloth. These materials couldn't really withstand the insects and climate of India. This made the memorization of texts precisely and word for word critical if the integrity of the writing was to survive throughout time. Patanjali's Yoga Sutras are comprised of four books known as padas. 
the Sanskrit word pada translates to foot. The foundation of the Yoga Sutras is framed in dualist Samkhya philosophy. Are you not familiar with Samkhya? <laughs> and are you, are you ready to bolt because the notion of a deep and somewhat dense philosophy is beyond your interests at this precise moment? Well, don't disconnect from this podcast. I mention Samkhya here to jumpstart your curiosity. This is when Google is your friend. The purpose of this particular podcast is to introduce you to the Yoga Sutras. Samkhya's philosophy requires a much larger frame of examination and study that is the intent of this particular episode. And you can still derive great benefit from the Yoga Sutras without a penetrating understanding of Samkhya philosophy. Yoga teachers and students the world over are continually drawn to the Yoga Sutras, often without an understanding of dualism or Samkhya. But with that said, a more in-depth study of Samkhya on your part will help to frame the sutras from another perspective. Now, on to the padas. In the first pada, known as Samadhi Pada, Patanjali teaches us that the enlightened mind is free of attachment, pain, suffering, fear, and grief. When I first learned this as a yoga student, I immediately thought, well, tell me more. Who doesn't want to live without pain or suffering? In the first pada, Patanjali teaches us that pain exists. Then he provides a pathway for discovering the cause of our pain, followed by tools that help us to reach a state where pain is absent. Samadhi pada outlines the various states of meditative absorption. The second pada, or sadhana pada, discusses the practices that trace the path to meditative absorption. In this pada, we learn more about kriya yoga and ashtanga yoga. Time yet for another sidebar. Perhaps you've heard of the word ashtanga yoga, meaning eight limbs. We find the concepts of six and eight limbs in other source books that actually predate Patanjali. Modern Ashtanga Yoga differs somewhat from the Ashtanga that is described in the Yoga Sutras. We could have a long discussion about these differences, but we'll save that for another podcast. In somewhat simplistic phrasing, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras place great focus upon all aspects of the eight limbs and does so without the emphasis upon the asana that we commonly see in modern yoga studios where asana has become synonymous with yoga. There is no historical evidence that asana has an ancient tradition that dates back thousands of years. Patanjali, for example, places the yamas and niyamas as the first two limbs of yoga and before the limb of asana. The yamas and niyamas are our ethical and moral codes of conduct for our yoga practice. Yoga students are often curious as to how they can take what they learn on the mat out into their daily lives. The Yoga Sutras speak to the commitment that is required to use ethical speech and behavior in all aspects of life. The word yama translates to restraint. The yamas, which we can think of as smaller branches off the first limb of the tree of yoga, include non-harming, truthfulness, non-stealing, non-greed, and non-possessiveness. The niyamas translate to observances and are, again, the second limb of the tree with the branches of cleanliness, contentment, self-discipline or right conduct, self-study, and surrender. 
After a firm foundation is created by the embodiment of all yamas and niyamas, asana becomes the third limb. You may be wondering why the yamas and the niyamas form the foundation of the yoga tree. The first yama is ahimsa, which translates to non-harming in thoughts or actions towards yourself or others. If you've ever been in the middle of a yoga class and you begin to self-criticize maybe with destructive thoughts such as, I'm too fat and I'll never be able to touch my toes, you are not practicing ahimsa. And when you're off the mat, negative thoughts or actions to others also go against ahimsa. Harmful thoughts are huge obstacles to reaching the other limbs of the yoga tree. And that's why ahimsa is first identified on the eight limbs. The asanas of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras are mostly focused upon seated postures. Why? Because the goal of the eight limbs of yoga is samadhi or mental absorption and is a state of utter peace and fulfillment. Everything that is included in the first seven limbs of the tree is to prepare us for the eighth and final limb or state of samadhi. The practice of asanas, for example, lead to self-awareness and improved health. Limb four on the yoga tree is pranayama or breath control. Limb five is pratyahara or withdrawal of the senses that leads the mind inward. And limb six is dharana or concentration. Limb seven is dhyana or unbroken meditation. The asanas of the Yoga Sutra prepare our body for steady and stable seated meditation with the ultimate goal of reaching limb eight, samadhi, or pure consciousness. But keep in mind that the Yoga Sutras go much further into explaining the obstacles that lead to our distracted minds. For example, the kleshas, or five afflictions, are identified as the root cause of our unhappiness and suffering. One of the five kleshas is avidya, or ignorance, which takes center stage in the Yoga Sutras and is responsible for a misconception of our true reality. We learn that our patterns of behavior are often on repeat, and through greater self-awareness and knowledge and understanding, we have the ability to end the cycle that leads to unhappiness. The third pada focuses upon the development of cognitive capabilities while taking a deeper dive into meditation. And the fourth pada discusses the path that moves from meditative absorption to final liberation. When we see the Yoga Sutras woven into a modern yoga class, references are most commonly drawn from the first and second padas. Let's look at the first two sutras. I've already mentioned that Sutra 1.1, meaning the first pada and first sutra, states, now begins the study of yoga. Here, Patanjali is telling us what the book is about, and that's very helpful. In Sutra 1.2, we see the most famous and often quoted sutra, Yoga Chitta Vritti Narodaha. Sometimes we find that the Ancient language of Sanskrit doesn't have an exact and precise meaning in English. So I'll use the most common translations of the Sanskrit words. Chitta is the mind. Vritti is fluctuations. 
and Narodaha is control. So this sutra can be translated as yoga is stilling the fluctuations of the mind stuff, or as yoga is stilling the wandering cessations of the mind. And it is in this sutra that Patanjali defines yoga as complete mastery over the roaming tendencies of the mind. Patanjali teaches us that the mind is an endless wheel with thoughts that are similar to waves, or in Sanskrit, vrittis. On a calm day, the vrittis rest, and this is when we can look into our focused mind and our thoughts are clear. This is when our mind is at peace. On other days, the vrittis, or waves, are turbulent and spinning, and our thoughts are unpleasant and distracted and destructive. Yoga Sutras number 3 through 195 teach us how to identify the causes of why we have thoughts that are often likened to a sort of monkey brain and provide a pathway for moving beyond the suffering that is the result of our somewhat chaotic thoughts. The sutras by themselves can be dense and somewhat cryptic. They must be unpacked to be understood in the philosophical and historical context into which they were written. And this is why commentary known as the Byasha was included for every sutra. To help you to visualize the text, think of a short and concise statement followed by a few more sentences or paragraphs that explain the meaning of the first statement. This commentary, or basha, is very helpful to the reader to again unpack the philosophical sutras. The debate is still continuing about who wrote the basha. Philip Moss believes it was Patanjali himself, and others aren't so sure. Regardless, the commentary in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras is very important for understanding the meaning behind the wisdom of the individual sutras. Sutras are relatively easy to unpack if you have a philosophical foundation. Keep in mind, too, that the intended audience for the Yoga Sutras in the time in which they were written wasn't the householders or people like you and me. Instead, the sutras would have been interpreted and unpacked by a teacher. When you read the sutras, I suggest that you find a commentary that uses language that is accessible to you. Otherwise, all that wisdom will fly overhead, and you'll miss the richness of knowledge that is contained in the sutras. The Yoga Sutras of Patanjali have been translated into more than 40 languages. Patanjali's sutras are by no means the sole interpretation of classical yoga, but it is the most dominant in terms of a systemized approach to yoga. The contemporary practitioners of Patanjali wrestled with the same things as we do, and so the Yoga Sutras are filled with wisdom that transcends time. And what is that wisdom? Patanjali's Yoga Sutras teach us to live our fullest expression in the moment. It is a holistic self-inquiry of the human condition that speaks to all cultures and religions. For students who are looking for a more authentic understanding and practice of yoga that is traced to the foundations of yogic philosophy and practice, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras serve both as a window and a handbook for traveling into and experiencing yoga 
well beyond modern postural yoga. I hope that what I've shared with you today fuels your curiosity to investigate the Yoga Sutras. I can share that my yoga practice, which, like yours, is in a constant state of evolution, began to shift when I started to examine the Yoga Sutras. The Yamas and the Niyamas are an excellent place to start because they are relatively easy to digest and serve as tools for everyone to navigate through life. I recommend Deborah Adele's book, The Yamas and Niyamas, as a starting point that serves as a gateway to the Yoga Sutras. And that wraps up this episode of Yoga Discovery. Thanks very much, as always, for joining me as we explore and investigate the wisdom and practices that shape modern yoga, leading, hopefully, to a deeper understanding of our personal journeys. If you enjoyed this episode, please share and like. As always, if you have any questions or suggestions for future Yoga Discovery podcasts, please send me an email at greentreeyogaofpa at gmail.com or check out my website at green-tree-yoga.com. Be safe and well, my friends. 